Good morning, Grace. It's good to see you uh, again this morning. If you're ever at home and you're looking for something to eat, and you open your cabinet, and there's a can of soup in the cabinet, leave it alone. <laughs> Last night, I was by myself. Teresa's out of town with some ladies at a women's conference, and like, you know, I'm not going to go out. I had this vision of a hamburger, though. I really did, I have to be honest. Hamburger, fries, and a Coke. And I'm like, mm, I don't want to get out. So I went to the cabinet, opened it up. I'm like, not much there. But I grabbed that soup. And it was broccoli and cheese, right? And so I put, put it in a, a saucepan. And then I was like, well, probably needs some doctoring up. So I got some garlic out. I like garlic. I even put some cinnamon in it. I thought, I love cinnamon, right? That's probably where I went wrong. Yeah, I know, all right. I, I, and then I put some, uh, what do you call uh, celery salt in there. And that probably helped it a little bit. And then I took a bite of it. Whew, it was rough. And then I added Cheez-Its. It didn't get any better. The moral of that story is, go get a hamburger, french fries, and a Coke. Good to see you today. A um, couple of announcements that we want to make this morning. Uh, first of all, the uh, Salt and Light Ministry, which is the college and career ministry, will be going over to uh, Bremen, uh, Georgia, two weeks from today. Uh, our missionaries, Luke and Naomi Milam, are there, and they have a ministry to some local motels there. And so... Um, one of the things that, that we wanted to do as a college and career ministry is kind of get involved with our missionaries and, and uh, here in Birmingham and, and other places. And so we're going to have an opportunity two weeks from today to go over to Bremen to uh, be with them as they minister to some folks at the motels. And uh, we're putting together these little bags, um, toiletry bags, and to fill, the, to fill one bag is $2.60. So if you want to be a part of that and just kind of help out with that, contribute to that, you can just make a note of that on, on the envelope as you give, as the Lord leads you. But just pray about that opportunity. Yeah, I really believe, I've talked to Luke some about it, I really believe he's hit a gold mine uh, in that area of ministry. And a lot of families, you know, stay at motels, some for long periods of time, then live there. And so they just have a great opportunity to... Um, to minister to those folks, and the college and career want to be a part of that. So you pray for that opportunity uh, as we go in a couple of weeks. This morning, we want to um, announce some new members to Grace. Uh, several weeks ago, we had a New to Grace class, and we do that on Saturdays. And it's an opportunity for people who have been attending, who are interested in knowing more about Grace to come. And to be a part of that, to be educated about grace, about what we believe, about the things that we're involved in, um, missions, and, and the ministries here uh, as well. And um, so we had uh, several attend and um, several uh, join. And I'm just going to ask that, that as I call out your names, that you would just stand where you are. And then our membership needs to look around and make sure that you're making these people feel at home. Um, you know, they had tremendous testimonies. If you were a part of that day, just to hear the testimonies of these individuals and how the Lord has worked in their lives to bring them to the point where they're with us, uh, how he brought uh, them to himself, just, just a tremendous, tremendous day that we had together. 
Uh, but I want to announce uh, our new members. I'm just going to ask that as I call out your name that you stand, but that you remain standing until, until I finish announcing uh, each and every one. So the first are Michael and Nina Andrzejewski. I think Trinity and Justice are with them today. All right. Um, Luke Bonner. Luke texted me last night and said, Dad, I know you're announcing new members, but I'm, I'm working today. I said, okay, I'm still going to announce your name. But I think everybody knows who Luke is, right? He's one of the guys that hangs out in the back and a tremendous servant of the Lord. A young man who loves the Lord and is active and involved. Um, I just, uh, he's a big guy too. I like him. I hope he likes me. Um, but um, Luke Bonner and then Bill Knapp. Bill, it's wonderful to have you and appreciate you uh, being here. Elaine uh, Kuykendall. One of our college students, uh, Savannah Laughlin. I know your mother. <laughs> She's one of the secretaries here at the church, just in case you didn't get that. Um, Alan Lovell. I believe you're married to one that's up here. Is that correct? Yeah. A little bit. <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, Jan Sandlin. Jan? There she is. Hey, Jan. Um, and then Kevin and Roxanne Wheeler. All right. Um, Kevin and Roxanne, we're thrilled that you're here. Andrew Jetskis, we're thrilled that you're a part of us at Grace. And we just appreciate so much their efforts, all of these guys, and just sharing their testimony. I hope you have an opportunity to get to meet them and get to know them. Each and every one of them is going to be a, a tremendous addition to the body of Christ here at Grace. And so we're thrilled that they're a part of us uh, today. Right. We haven't done that in a while. And that was nice to do. We haven't been together like this in a while. You know, we're here last week. But still, it's just so good to be together. As we saw in that video, it's just everything was about being together. And... Um, it's important, I think, that we're together as it relates to um, the gospel of Christ and the word of God. And I don't know that you're going to find this next section in 2 Timothy 2 encouraging unless you have a real good perspective on the fact that Christ is coming. If you keep that perspective as we discuss some of these things, I think it's going to be really, really beneficial to you. Because you can kind of get locked in to what's going on in our world and get really depressed and anxious and all that kind of stuff. Well, I can tell you this for a fact, God doesn't want us there. He wants us to be encouraged by the fact that as we see the terrible times, we know, hey, it's just drawing closer to him coming, okay? And terrible times didn't start yesterday. They've been around. So as we, as we consider the fact that we live in this age, you know, what is it that God wants us to do with what we know? Right, Because we know, if we're believers in Christ, we know the end of the story. And we know he's coming, and that's the hope that we have. So we acknowledge the fact that we go through difficulties. And I think we're going to find in this particular section that he's not so much talking about all the difficulties necessarily we face personally as much as he's talking about the fact that man in the last days is pretty raunchy. Um, in fact, when you consider what he says in this passage... 
we could look at it and go, okay, you know, we can see man, how he's advanced, you know, technologically and medically and all these things, and we can give man a big round of applause. But the reality is man, man's depraved. And, and as, as Paul describes men in this passage, it's pretty rough. I don't think you would find anybody on the street going, oh, this is how we are. <laughs> but the reality is that that's a good description of man. It has been, it is, and it will continue to be. So we look forward to the coming of Christ as the church when he comes for us in the clouds. But we also look forward to an anticipation of after the tribulation period of coming with Christ to the earth to rule and reign with Christ for a thousand years in a glorified body. Wow, hallelujah, right? So I want to read this chapter, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3. I think it's important to read all of it because you have to, I think that's how you have to think through it. So I'm going to ask you to stand. I know it's 16 verses, but you'll be okay. If you think you're going to fall down, you can sit back down. But I want you to listen to what Paul writes to Timothy and remember, if I don't say this later, remember that, that he's not um, writing from great circumstances. He's in a dungeon. Right? He's not in a prison like we think of prisons now. He's not watching HBO and you know, being brought chicken and all that rice and all that kind of stuff. He's in a dungeon and it's dark and there's barely light. Okay, And he knows he's about to die. He knows his life's about to be required. In fact, I love the way he says it. In chapter 4, you remember what he says? He didn't say, well, I'm about to die. That's not what he says. He says, the time of my what? Departure is at hand. <laughs> and I, I just kept thinking about planes departing. He, he's like, I'm departing. And I'm going to be with Christ. Which, as he defines in Philippians, is so much better. It's so much better to be with Christ. So just listen to these words from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. Paul says, but realize this. That in the last days, difficult times will come. And then he describes men. He says, for men, and that there is mankind, everybody, young and old alike. Men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Disagree with any of that? <laughs> Holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. In other words, there's an external look alike, but... The change, not so much. He says, although they have denied its power, avoid such men as these. And he tells you why. For among them are those who enter into households and captivate weak women weighed down with sins. Led on by various impulses, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Just as Jannes and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also they oppose the truth. Men of depraved mind, rejected in regard to the faith. But they will not make further progress. For their folly will be obvious to all, just as Janese and Jambres' folly was also. There's a transition here. He goes from talking about them to talking about himself by way of testimony. Look at this. 
Now, you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance. Persecutions and sufferings such as happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra. What persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I really believe that's the key to the whole section. That Paul understood that, that he was going through it, and that Timothy was going to go through it, and that every single believer who stands on the truth will be persecuted. That's going to happen. It may not be from a physical standpoint, but if you and I stand on the truth of the gospel, we'll be persecuted. We will be persecuted. People will laugh at us and ridicule us and say, hey, look, you're heading down the wrong road. Don't you know life's all about what you can get? It's all about yourself. So I think it's important that Timothy was to have the mind that, hey, if I live for Christ, I'm going to suffer. And he did. And so did all the apostles. And so did many followers of Christ after they went to be with the Lord. So I think there has to be that mind. I think the mind today tends to be, I want to get out of that. I don't want to be involved in that. (laughs) Well, I get that, right? I mean, who wants to be persecuted? But the reality of it is this. Believers who stand on the gospel of Christ and the word of God will be persecuted. That's what it says here. I mean, it's not like this. It's a line in the sand. So he says, they will be persecuted, but evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. And then he changes. He's like, hey, you, Timothy, however, continue in the things you've learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you've learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. What writings is he talking about? The Old Testament. So he follows up with that, and he says, All Scripture is God-breathed, it's inspired by God, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Why? So that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Let me read into chapter 4, because it really goes with it. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Preach the word. I remember hearing this years ago from Dr. Talley. He said, men, your call is to preach the word. That's what your call is. And what you do with that, you'll make that decision. I didn't understand what he was talking about then. I do now. And I have. If we were to survey the number of churches where the word of God is not preached and not taught, how many would that be? Oh, yeah, good many. He didn't tell me to do anything else. It's like, this is so awesome to me. He's like, he didn't give him 15 things to do. He just says, preach the word. You preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Why? For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Who is they? Those inside. Those that are around you. 
Not only those outside, but those inside. Because sound doctrine is what? Eh, it's not, that's not, I don't like that. Because sound doctrine says this is who God is and this is what he wants for my life. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. In other words, what they want to hear. And will turn away their ears from the truth, will turn aside the myths, but you, Timothy, be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. A lot of heavy stuff there. We need to pray and ask for the Spirit's leading. How about that? Man, Lord, this passage is just so filled. So many gold nuggets here that we must consider. Lord, at one point, Paul's talking to Timothy about these evil men and imposters. And you just can't help but think about our culture that we live in. And it's no different than what you know, Paul was telling Timothy. There, there are evil men and imposters that, that align themselves with us, but they're, they're not real, they're not genuine. Um, and they cause havoc in the church. They're outside and they're inside, and we're going to see that in a little while. But he's not writing about something that Timothy was unfamiliar with. I think it's just a good reminder for him. Hey, look, this whole Christian life stuff, it's a battle. And, and it's impossible. I was reminded it is impossible to live a victorious Christian life apart from your spirit. And it's easy to get discouraged and down and like look at all around us and all these you know, bad things that are going on. And they are going on. But they're going on because man is without you. And the problem in Washington, D.C. that we have today is that these men need Christ. These women need Christ. That's the problem. All the other things that come from what we see are just the results of just a worldly philosophy and, and this whole self-love thing. And there's so many things that, Lord, we know your word your word tells us to walk a different way. And God, I know that in my study time this week, I've just been praying, Lord, that you would just work your will out in my life through all this. And, and God, I think the encouraging part that we have to take away from this is that, that you're coming again and that you're going to rescue us and deliver us from this present evil and we're going to be with you forever. And we're even, as your word tells us, we're going to rule and reign with you for a thousand years. I can't even understand that completely, Lord. None of us can. But, but we can say thank you. And, and, and without grace, we have no hope. So thank you for the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Help us, we pray today. In his name, amen. As I said, Christ is our only hope. In salvation, he is our only hope in life as we live through life. He's our only hope to be able to persevere, and he's our only hope in death. Let's worship the Lord this morning as we sing about that. What is our hope in life and 
Oh. 
sings a song it says oh my soul will rest on jesus jesus is the only one that we can rest on we can depend on and i think we would all say amen to that listen to the words as they sing Oh my 
stop praying with you. Father, we thank you this morning that we can come together and we can be assured, not hope so, but we can be assured of the hope that you have given us, the hope that we have in our salvation. Lord, the hope that we have in our life that through you and only you we can persevere. Father, we can withstand whatever the world throws at us, Lord, because of you. And Lord, that we know that without a shadow of doubt, Father, when those days come, when we cross over into that, uh, that other land that we talk about, Father, when we cross over, that we will be in heaven with you and we will spend our eternity with you, Father. You are our only hope. And Lord, we just want to thank you for that, Father. I pray for Thad as he brings a message to us this morning, Father. Feed our hearts, Lord. I pray that the Spirit of God would just move among every one of us today, Lord, that we would learn and we would absorb your word. Be with us now these things we pray in your Son's name. Thank you, Ron. And those songs just go so well with um, what we're going to do today. You know, Ron and I at times will talk about things, but not too, too often. We might every once in a while, but just to, to sing the songs, Christ our hope in life and death, the solid rock, and then my soul will rest on Jesus. I mean, that just like really, really goes well with what we're going to discuss today. And so thank you, Lord, for that. I'm going to start out by just telling you that, um, you know, I've been really wrestling through this passage. I mean, it's, it's been a wrestling match. Not that I'm not wanting to convey what's here, but anytime you're reading through the scriptures, you have to ask why. At least I do. And um, I'm like, why, Lord, are you, um, or why did you, through the Apostle Paul, give Timothy this message? You know, what... What will I do with what Paul told Timothy? You know, what, what is there here that I need to consider, um, if anything? I would say we need to consider everything that's here. I mean, that's the conclusion that I've come to, that, that none of us in this room can afford to say, I'm just not interested. I know in this culture that we live in, you know, it's fast-paced, and we like being entertained, and we want it, you know, like that. Just give, give me what's next. But the reality is that sometimes, um, if we're really going to be what I would call um, on the road of being mature believers, we have to say, hey, Lord, what's here for me? I know this is a pastoral epistle. I know it was written to Timothy, who was a pastor at Ephesus. And this just applies to Thad. Well, no, it, it applies to all of us. We all are on the same team, those of us who are in Christ. So I guess what I'm asking you to do is, is to, to remember you're on the team. One of the hardest things for um, bench players, whether it's basketball or football or baseball, one of the hardest things for them to do is remain engaged, engaged in the game, <laughs> right? If you've ever been a bench player... Or maybe, maybe we're not even just talking athletics. We can be talking about being in a play. Maybe you're the person that's next in line, so to speak, and, and you're waiting, you know, not, not necessarily hoping somebody breaks their foot, but waiting in line you know, for, your, for your time. And, and it's hard, isn't it, at times to stay engaged in the moment. Like 
this really is something that's for me. I remember when I was playing basketball at Southeastern, my freshman year, I was the 10th guy. We had 12. So, I mean, you know, I wasn't going to be like, okay, you know, I'm just sitting there, I'm trying to stay engaged. Well, I think that when it comes to a passage like this, there could be a temptation to say, well, that's just for some people, but it's for all of us. It's for all of us to consider. Because you see, Paul wouldn't have just given this to Timothy, and Timothy kept silent. I mean, he was in Ephesus, and he would have been sharing this with the church. <laughs> and he would have been expecting them to do what? Uh, pay attention. And so, um, I guess I'm respectfully asking that you pay attention. That you would allow the Lord to do um, in your life what he wants. Because I, just, I, I don't even know how to express it to you that this last week has just been, been tough. I mean, in a lot of ways, just grinding through this and, and, and just kind of assessing kind of where the church is today. And it can get discouraging if you allow it to, but that's why I told you in the reading, you know, we know terrible times are now, and they're going on, and they have been, but our hope has found a resting place that's in Christ alone. Okay? And we know what's coming. We know who's coming. Right? And so I think that's really important to keep in mind as we go through uh, this. To set the stage in the chapter... And even into chapter 4, and even back to chapter 2, Paul has introduced to Timothy the idea that there's opposition to the gospel. There's opposition to the truth. If you just want to label it like that, there is opposition to the truth. There is opposition to the truth outside of the church. You know that, right? But there's opposition to the truth at times inside the church. And he speaks about man in some pretty, um, pretty raw terms here in describing them. And then he continues to talk about these men. But he's already kind of done that in chapter 2. Um, you remember he said in chapter 2 that he wanted Timothy to be an honorable vessel. You remember that? Right? That he would be honorable, an honorable vessel. And, and, and that really spoke about his conduct, right? The conduct of the believer. And then he talked about that as a slave of Christ, his communication was really important, how he communicated. I need to back up there. I want to show you. Remember what it said in chapter 2, verse 24? The Lord's slave must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged. Look at this verse, verse 25. With gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition. There are those who are in opposition. And the opposition is inside the church at times, and it's definitely outside the church. He says, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. And then he comes to chapter 3. But, you know, in light of that, in light of the fact there's opposition, in light of the fact that this is the way you need to conduct yourself, and, and just allow the Lord to do the work in people, right? And re that's very, very important. That we don't become like a Holy Spirit. You know, we're going to change people. But we let the Lord change people, right? Because there is opposition inside and outside and so the room for repentance here is not just for the unbeliever but for the believer as well you know have you ever thought that somebody might not have been discipled about something like that they, 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 they seem like they're opposed to something that you and i go we just take for granted because we've known it a long time people grow at different rates 
And sometimes what appears to be opposition might be this. It might be opposition in terms of label, but it might just be that this person has not been discipled. To think about, for example, that their body is the temple. Okay? I mean, there's just a lot of things. You could throw all kinds of things under that. Okay, So I think it's very important for us to understand that opposition is definitely from outside. And I think Timothy definitely had that in mind but also from the inside. Now, you say, well, where is that founded? I'm glad you asked. If you look in the book of Acts, um, you remember Paul addresses the Ephesian elders. Now, Timothy, listen, Timothy joined Paul on the second missionary journey, okay? And so, um, Timothy would have been very familiar with what was said here obviously, to the Ephesian elders. And as Paul addresses these Ephesian elders, I want you to notice the language, okay, the language of the text. He says, For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God, the whole counsel of God. In other words, I gave you everything. Now, that's important in light of the fact that one of the things that may be missing today in our culture that was missing in the church culture for sure in that day as well, is sometimes one of the temptations that comes to a pastor, and I don't know if you're, how much you're going to appreciate this, but it might be, you know, I don't know if I really want to tell my people this. This is hard stuff. Right? Like if you're teaching, we'll just take that particular passage, that your body's the temple of God. Right? So does it matter how... Or what I do with my body? Yes. Is that always an easy message to declare? Answer no, because people say, well, you stay out of my backyard. But it's not really me in the backyard or the other pastor, whoever that is. It's the Lord that's in your backyard. And he's saying, this is the way you need to conduct yourself. Okay. So what Paul's saying here is, look, I didn't shrink from telling you anything about Christ or the gospel or the way that you ought to live. He says, be on guard for yourselves. Now this is, remember in the context, he's talking to the Ephesian elders. He had them come to Miletus. He says, be on guard for yourselves. So he's talking to these spiritual leaders. And he said, and for all the flock. Now that's a heavy responsibility. Can I just pause and say that? Number one, do you notice where he starts? He doesn't say, take care of the flock. What does he say? He says, be on guard for yourselves. Here, Grace, you need your spiritual leaders to be regularly in the Word of God. You need your spiritual leaders to be regularly in prayer. You need that. That starts with their own personal walk with the Lord. So he says, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among which, I love this, the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. <laughs> what does that keep man from doing? Elevating himself. It's the Lord that puts people in these positions. It's uncomfortable to be in the position. 
It's humbling to be in that position. To think about the fact that not only do I have to take care of myself spiritually, but I have, and the other elders have, the responsibility to care and protect the sheep here at Grace. And I know the other elders would echo the same thing, that it is a large responsibility, and we cannot do it without the help of the Holy Spirit. And I can tell you, because I've been in enough meetings with these elders, they love you. They want you to love the Lord your God. And they want you to live for Him. But it begins with each of us individually as elders. So he says, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God. It's God's church. And notice the weight of this, which he purchased with his own blood. Now here's where the language changes. I know that after my departure, savage wolves, in the Greek it means destructive men, men who seek to destroy, (laughs) will come in among you. In other words, going to be with you. Not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves men will arise. Did you catch that? From among your own selves. I wrote down something. Please be patient. It wasn't for two more pages, but I'm going to give it to you now. That's the spirit. The most dangerous men to the way or to the gospel aren't way out there in their theology. But close by. Are you listening to me? They're the ones that some listen to on television and radio and say, oh, they're okay. They open their Bible. They mention God every once in a while. Went to a pastor's conference years ago, and basically the, the man who was leading the conference said the same thing. It's not these guys that are way out there that I'm most concerned about. It's the ones that are really close by. So, it's hard. He says, they will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves men will arise doing what? Speaking perverse things. To draw away the disciples after them. That word perverse there means twisted. And the idea is twisted to their advantage. Can you think of people like that? Right? Who twist the scriptures to their advantage financially? You think of anybody like that? They're out there. So, I wanted to introduce this because... When Paul's writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy, this is not something new, right? And just a few years later, I think um, the ante goes up, so to speak. Because what Paul does in writing to the Ephesians in the letter of Ephesians is he tells these believers, hey, look, you're in a spiritual battle. How many of you know that? (laughs) 
that you're in a spiritual battle for truth. That you're willing to stand on what God says. No matter what the opposition may say, whether they're inside or outside. So no matter what the opposition says in, in relationship to abortion, whether inside or outside, I'm standing on the fact that God created. I'm standing on that. That every, every baby is precious. Every life is precious. Right? We stand on that, don't we? But there's opposition within the church and outside the church that says, yeah, through their actions, they admit that it's not, that the children are not precious. I struggle. I don't understand how they do that. But in Ephesians, Paul alerts them to the spiritual battle, and he says, finally be strong in the Lord. And by the way, that prepositional phrase there, in the Lord, is really important. Because otherwise, we might walk around and go, hey, be strong. You know, I can do it. I got this. No, he says, be strong in the Lord. It's in the Lord that we find our strength, guys, isn't it? Isn't that what happens in your life when you're going through a trial or tribulation? Right? Isn't that, isn't that what happens? Your strength is where? It's in the Lord. It's in Him. It's how you get through those monumental things that take place in your life. Right? As a Christian, that, that's how it works. We know what it's like when we're trying to do it on our own. <laughs> it doesn't work out well. So he says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. I love the song, he's our strong and mighty tower. We what? We run to him. He's our strength. Paul says to these Ephesians, put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes or wiles of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness. There is a battle that's raging that we, we're, we can't see. Against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. There's battles going on all the time, right, that we can't see. And therefore our children, our grandchildren... They are. The enemy does not want our children and grandchildren to stand where we stand. No, he doesn't. So what's he going to do? He's going to throw these arrows at them, right? That's what he's going to do. And he's going to do it all the time. You look at our culture today and our world today. We live in a bloodthirsty world. That sounds harsh, doesn't it? It's true. We live in a world that craves power, craves it. We live in a very immoral world where our young people are introduced to things in first and second and third grade that they should not know. My wife works at a local school. The stories she tells me are rated R and X. And these are kindergarten, first and second graders. Can I encourage you to not do something? Don't throw your hands up and say, I give up. Be strong in the Lord. <laughs> Be strong in Him. Because you know what? The Lord can change that young person. 
And they can go from walking down a road to destruction to walking in newness of life. Sometimes I think, and this is just an opinion, and so you know what you can do with opinions, right? You just might not like it. But sometimes I think that Christians get so bogged down in all the discouragements that we ought to remember that the Lord changed us. (laughs) Right? He changed me, changed you if you're in Christ. He can change our children and he can change our grandchildren. But we know there's a spiritual battle. And Paul told the Ephesians, hey, there's a spiritual battle. He says, therefore, take up the full armor of God. Why? He says you're to put it on. That's a one-time action. You're to put it on. You're to take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist the evil day. You say, when did that start? (laughs) Back in the garden. Sin originated back in the garden, and evil has continued. And we would say today, if we're just looking at our generation, it's out of control. I mean, you cannot watch the news without seeing evil. It's rampant. People killing people with no regard for life. It's the truth. People taking life, right? It's happening I saw this story. I'm sure you saw it. It was on the news. Two teenage girls that confiscated a man's vehicle. I, re- I forget if it was Washington, D.C. or Baltimore. It was one of those. He was a driver. Did you guys see the story? He was a driver, like, and he delivered food. That'd be kind of fun to do. My problem would be I would be wanting to get the food. Especially if it smelled good and it was better than that can I ate last night. So he was a driver. He's delivering food. And these two girls come and, and, and they just, they're going to steal the man's car. And they steal the they, Listen, they get in the vehicle, right? They're in the vehicle. This man's like, hey, that's my car. The next thing you hear, and you hear witnesses saying, hey, that, they're taking his car. He's kind of hanging in the car, and the next thing you know is what you hear is, bam! Man's face first on the concrete dead. And the next thing that you watch is unbelievable. One of the persons said, where's my phone? I've left my phone in the vehicle. No regard for life. Evil's been around, and it will continue. And you know when evil is going to really take a turn and, and be like, I don't, imagine when the tribulation period comes. Whew. See, the church is gone. I mean, wow, evil times 10, times 100, times 1,000. So maybe we're getting a little bit of this picture, right? That Paul has in mind that, hey, evil is present. And he warns the Ephesian elders and he reminds the Ephesian believers, we're in this spiritual battle. And then we come to 2 Timothy 3. And in these verses, I'm just... Put some things here, and we're going to fill in the blanks. 
But in this passage, he's going to say men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, so forth and so on. 19 different descriptions. <laughs> None of them are good. And then he says at the end of that instruction, avoid such men as these. Who are these men? Men who oppose the truth, men of depraved mind, rejected in regard to the faith. But evil men, he says, and we read it a few minutes ago, and imposters. That word there in the Greek means pretenders, those who mislead. Now, we expect those outside of the church to mislead, do we not? Absolutely. What about inside the church? Not so much. In fact, I can tell you, you trust people who lead. Because this is what happens in churches. People do it, okay? They drop their kids off. Don't they? Yes, they do. They drop them off at Awana. They drop them off at Children's Church. Young people are being dropped off at events. And what are you trusting? That that person that you've dropped them off with has their best in mind spiritually, right? I can tell you, working with all these folks around here, I would say that, as to my understanding today, I know that's the truth. But can you imagine being in places, which you can go to, by the way, where that might not be the truth? Happens. So these pretenders, are they in the church? I think they are. But I know they're outside the church. There are people outside the church who are evil. And Paul kind of focuses in on these men and talks about them. I think if the temptation would be to come to chapter 3 and just look at the description of these men and go, okay, this is the way men are going to be in the last days. But man, there's a context here. It fits in a greater context that Paul wanted Timothy to be aware of. And my goodness, if anybody knew that they were living in evil days, then who was it? Paul. <laughs> How do you know? Read 2 Corinthians. He was beaten, right? He was left for dead. This man understood what it was to be persecuted. The church of God today does not yet in the United States. Not yet. We're going that way. We're moving in that direction. But I haven't been strapped and beaten. My life has not been threatened yet. One day, somebody's going to stand behind a pulpit in the United States, and that's going to happen. Now, I know there have been some accounts in Houston, Texas, where I read about a few years ago where people were reading sermons and kind of wanted to throw this out and that out. Okay, that can happen. But I'm talking about being physically persecuted for your faith in the United States. We know it happens around the world. And Paul understood it himself, did he not? I mean, he's writing from a dungeon, and he is beaten, and he's cold. We know that because at the end of the letter, he asked him to bring his cloak. I mean, man physically is beaten down. When you're beaten down physically, what happens to you spiritually? What happens? One of the things that happens is if you're beaten down physically, you can kind of give in to that, can't you? And that can kind of drive you spiritually and woe is me and Lord, don't you know who I am? Can't you see what's going on? 
the Lord sees, and the Lord knows. Isn't that good? He sees and he knows. But hey, we're human, and at times we go, hey, Lord, it's Fab. Hey, Lord, it's me. Hey, Lord, it's me. Man, Paul just, I don't know, I know it was a growth process for him, but he did it right. He knew, didn't he? He declared it in Philippians. For to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. And if I live on the, in the flesh, it will mean retirement. Is that what he says? No. It'll mean fruitful labor for me. Hey, listen, guys, and this is something we really need to grab onto as, as a body, as the church. Retirement is when you see the Lord face to face. That's it. You say, yeah, that, but I'm tired of working this job. I don't mean that. I'm talking about in service to the Lord, there is no retirement. Some of the greatest encouragers I've ever had in the ministry have been, how would we say, mature ladies. I had one one time I visited, and she said, that I need something to do. She was starting to feel like she wasn't worth much. She said, can I do something? I said, yeah, you can do something. And I gave her a prayer list, and I kept bringing her a prayer list, and time after time after time. Well, that's the introduction. Now we come to the text. So we have to have in mind that there are men who are in opposition to the truth. I think that has to be in our minds. And that Paul's describing men in the last days. But I wanted to give you some things to think about here. Um, I have a simple outline. <laughs> not sure if you're going to like it or not. <laughs> it's know this, know them, know that. Okay, that handles verses 1 through 9. Know this, know them, know that. Dr. Talley would like it. Except it's not one word, so he wouldn't like it. He would like the word no. Know this. Look what it says, verse 1. He says, but realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. This is the way it literally reads in the original. And it's to Timothy, okay? It it literally reads this. Timothy, you keep on knowing this. In other words, it's not something that he could just take in and just toss to the side. But it was something that he had to embrace. He had to always be mindful of what Paul was about to tell him. He couldn't ever lose sight of what Paul was going to say. Because it wasn't going to change. He says, but realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. Um, Some people when they're looking at that term last days, they define it as thinking about what's coming just strictly in the future. Um, In terms of eschatology. Some believe that it refers to the time from Pentecost until the second coming of Christ. 
I'm kind of like Chuck Swindoll. I believe that it refers to a time period between the first advent of Christ and the second advent of Christ. In fact, Chuck Swindoll says a term, this term, last days, refers to the time between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. Okay, so you understand the difference between the comings of Christ, right? You had the first advent when Christ came, but, but then you have what, what is called the second advent, and that's when Christ comes to the earth, okay? Second coming to Jerusalem with his church to set up his kingdom. Now, there are events between those two, right? A lot of events. Really, when I think about last days, I think about the fulfillment of Jesus Christ coming, right? Him coming. Um, it's interesting, as I was thinking about this term, I was like, man, that, there's a lot to think about. But the author of Hebrews kind of um, echoes what Swindoll says. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in other words, the Old Testament, in these last days has spoken to us in who? In his Son, Jesus Christ, whom he appointed heir of all things, through, through whom also he made the world. So the last days refers to the fulfillment of Christ coming to earth and then all the way until the second coming of Christ. Now, I need to explain to you in terms of what we believe here at Grace. We believe that when Christ came to the earth, that he lived, that he died, that he rose again, that he ascended to the right hand of the Father, that in Acts chapter 2 you have the beginning of the church. And we believe that on the, the next calendar of event, on the calendar of events, the next event is the rapture of the church. And subsequent to the rapture of the church, then we believe and teach that there is a seven-year tribulation period that goes on. And we believe that while that's going on, that in heaven there's the Bema Seat judgment and as well the marriage supper of the Lamb. Okay? So that's kind of a summary. But then after that, then on earth there's the battle at the end of the seven-year period, the battle of Armageddon. And at the, at the end of that time, right, the battle of Armageddon, that's when Christ comes to earth with his church. All right? To set up what is known as the kingdom, the thousand-year reign of Christ. And Revelation 20 highlights that particular event. Okay, so I was thinking about all that, and I'm like, well, you know, when did Christ begin to have an influence and impact on the life of people? Well, you could say the birth, and that is true. Okay, so I want you to hear me first, the birth, because that's a fulfillment of prophecy. So I don't want you to walk away going, that didn't start there. No, I'm starting there. But there is another event that kind of the Lord just put on my heart and mind, and I don't know why, and I guess if you don't like it, then later you can tell me, and that'll be all right. But I want you to go to Luke chapter 2, because after we have recorded the birth of the Lord, we do, you know, there's a lot of silence, right, about the Lord's years until he shows up in the temple, right? You guys know that, right? And um, I had never thought about this, like, in, in detail until this last week. And I was like, oh, I'm a little nervous about doing that. But I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> because this is what the Lord's led me to. So I'm, here it is. So it's like, when we think about the last days, we think about Christ coming 
uh, in uh, being born in Bethlehem in fulfillment of the prophecies of the Old Testament. And we think about, right, the second coming of Christ. But there's all these events in between. And when he starts his public ministry, right, we always say, well, he started it when he was 30. I don't know about that. I'm not disagreeing, all right? Um, but I'm just saying there was an influence on people here in Luke chapter 2 when he was 12. And I just never had considered it much, and I'm sure my professors who were in this room would say, Thad, you should have considered it, which I agree with. But listen to what it says. Luke chapter 2, verse 41. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover, and when he became 12, they went up there according to the custom of the feast, and as they were returning, after spending the full number of days, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But his parents were unaware of it. But supposed him to be in the caravan, and went a day's journey, and they began looking for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem looking for him. And then after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers. Now look at this. Both listening to them and asking them questions. Wouldn't you have liked to have been there? <laughs> oh man. I'd love to have heard those those um, questions. And all who heard, look, all who heard him were what? Amazed at his understanding and his answers. When they saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. And he said to them, Why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand the statement which he had made to them. He went down with them and came to Nazareth, and he continued subjection to them. And his, heart, his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and favor with God. And men, and so we see in this passage not the humanity of our Lord, but the deity of our Lord. I mean, he had an impact here. It's clear, the text tells us that. They were amazed at what was being said by our Lord. You know that same amazement? I, th I, th I, just, I just think, you know, they were amazed at what was going on with him. That same word, amazed... We're going to be amazed when we stand in the presence of the Lord at who He is. He is the Lord of all. So, anyway, I just want to throw that out there as something just to think about. But by definition, the last days, I believe, refer to uh, the event of his, between His first advent and His second advent. So, um, Paul, obviously, in the context of the passage, is talking about the fact that He lived in the last days. He did, okay? Um, and we do as well. All right. Um, look what it says, verse 1. He says, in the last days, difficult times will come. Now, that word difficult means harsh. It means hard to bear. It means terrible. And it can even mean unpleasant. There's a lot of different definitions for that term. You know what's interesting, though, is it only occurs one other time in the New Testament. So like for me, when it's like that, I just have to find out. I'm one of those, if it occurs 35 times, okay, but one other time. And the only other time that occurs is Matthew chapter 8. 
And it's interesting in terms of the context. Um, Matthew chapter 8, verse 28. This is where that word occurs again. It says, When he came to the other side into the country of the Gadarenes, two men who were demon-possessed met him as they were coming out of the tombs. And they were so extremely violent. That's the word there. That no one could pass by that way. So the Apostle Paul uses that same term right there to describe the last days. They're violent. (laughs) Well, he knew about the violence in his own life, right? And we know about it today. These days that we live in are violent days. And that's the same word that is used here in Matthew chapter 8. All right. I just thought that was an interesting fact you might want to know. All right, let's look at know them, all right? So we go from know this to know them. I have a couple of things I just want to mention, and we'll just deal with the first one today because um, I'm hoping to run through that list next week. But I think it's important that we don't just run through it and like, you know, there's things to learn. Because when you look at the list, you go, well, that's them. But I think one of the things that we must do, and I put it in here in our notes is that the description of these people should prompt the church toward, first of all, a mind of discernment. We need to know those within and those outside. Um, in fact, I think I have for you a verse here. Yeah, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 21 and 22, um, which says, but examine everything carefully. So that's what the church should do. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. So the, as we read through these characteristics of men in the last days, I think we need that discernment piece. We need to always be discerning. Right? In other words, for example, who am I sitting across from? Do I know? Do I really know? Right? I think that's something that's very, very important to consider. Um, okay. Also, though, I put in your notes that there should also be a recognition by the church of a spiritual battle. We talked about that a few minutes ago. And as well, there should also be a thorough examination that takes place. uh, (laughs) That should say takes instead of taking. That takes place in the life of every professing Christian. You say, is there room for that? There's absolutely room for that. 2 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 5 says what? Test yourself or examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. Okay? It's important to do. Examination is important. The author of Psalm 139 said what? Search me and what? Know me. Examination is good. Examination is hard, but examination is good. Um, All right. So then we get into the description, and I want to deal with the first one because I believe the first one kind of covers all of it. Right? It's kind of the heading above, if you will. Um, uh Uh-oh. Lovers of self. This word describes people who are in love with themselves. This word describes a person who is solely interested in their own needs or interests. Okay, so since I've already been through this, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen to you as you're going through this. Okay, I'm just warning you. You're going to say, am I this way? You're going to do that. And if you don't do that, something's wrong with you. You're going to do that. Am I this way? I don't think there's anything wrong with that. 
Because at times we do love ourselves, don't we? In fact, the Bible tells us that no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. One pastor wrote this, and I didn't know. I'm still thinking about what he wrote. But he wrote this. Kind of illustrates this whole loving self thing. He says, when nobody else celebrates you. Now, this is a pastor. When nobody else celebrates you, learn to celebrate yourself. Okay? When nobody else compliments you, then compliment yourself. That sounds good, doesn't it? Sure. Who doesn't like that? Life is about living for yourself. Now, this is from a pastor. I have never once thought in 30 years of standing before an audience of people, whether it's youth or whether it's adults and youth and children, I've never thought, I need to go in there and teach these people today how to love themselves. You ever done a lesson on that? The Bible says we do love ourselves. No one ever hated his own flesh, and that's in the context I know you know this. That's in the context of Ephesians 5 where Paul is instructing husbands to love their wives. Right? And he says, hey, no one's ever hated their own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it. The problem is man does love himself. That love needs to be redirected. There's an Old Testament parallel, I think, that might be something like that. Um, You remember... At the end of the judges, there was no king in Israel. You remember that? And it says, in those days there was no king, and everyone did what was what? Right in their own eyes. I'm not sure that's changed a whole bunch. I mean, I look at today, and that's pretty much, right? That's pretty much the label of the day. Everybody does what's right in their own eyes. Uh, Wayne Barber says this about self-love. Well, I thought this was pretty strong. He says, self-love sets one up like a god and says that nothing matters as much as the pleasure of oneself. It's hard to take a look at. I read an article that I didn't really want to read, but I read it anyway. You know what the title of it was? Five science-backed reasons it's important important to love yourself. (laughs) I thought, oh boy, this is going to be a bunch of baloney, and sure enough, it was. But listen to this. And people in our culture, I mean, they gravitate to this. You have to understand that, right? Like, if you go look up loving yourself, oh my goodness, you're going to be nauseated, right? You're going to want that can of soup. I mean, it, it is awful. This particular article says this. These are the five science-backed reasons it's important to love yourself. Number one, loving yourself can make you happier. Okay? Loving yourself can encourage you to reach health goals. Loving yourself can help you mentally. Loving yourself can help you stop procrastinating. And loving yourself can lead 
you through adversity. So I'm reading that, and, I, and I'm trying to, you know, go, okay, you know, I think this, this particular article is nuts, but if I'm just a regular old person reading this article, I might go, that's pretty good stuff, right? I just need to learn to love myself, and my life's going to be better. In fact, if I love myself, I'm going to be able to handle all the adversity and the trials and the tribulations better. But as Christians, we know that's baloney because the only one that can help us through the trials and the tribulations where at the end of it there is victory is who? The Lord. That's the truth. You say, well, Thad, people have coping mechanisms. I understand that. And I've been in situations where I've been in people's living rooms and I've been in hospitals with unbelievers who are trying to cope with the person that just died. And I can promise you this, it's not like a believer. It's not. It's completely different. Because you know what? The person that died that was an unbeliever and all these unbelievers are with them, they just like, man, they lived a good life. They did all they could do. They made all the money they could make. Life was just one big, great, it was a great time. And I'm not sure where they're at now. Like it doesn't even matter. But for a believer, what do we do at funerals? We celebrate, don't we? We do. Do we grieve? Yes, we grieve. We do grieve. Paul says we grieve, Right? We do grieve, but he puts something in there that's very important for all of us to understand. We grieve, but we don't grieve as those who have no what? Hope. And we have hope. My hope has found a resting place. How about yours? I'll tell you what self-love does. It sets a person up for failure. Because at the end of the day, they're going to have to look in the mirror. It led me to, I have two more slides. It led me to this term, narcissism. I don't know how many of you are familiar with the term. It's thrown around a lot. But narcissism, I think, is a lot of what Paul had in mind here. Narcissism is an intense focus on oneself and involves selfishness, entitlement, We live in an entitlement culture. A constant desire and need for admiration and a demonstrated lack of empathy. I ran across an article that I thought was kind of humorous. The title of the article is How to Be Miserable. It says, This is how you're miserable. Number one, you think about yourself. You talk about yourself. You use I as often as possible. You mirror yourself continually in the opinions of others. You listen greedily to what people say about you. You expect to be appreciated. You're a suspicious person. You're jealous and you're envious. He, he wrote, be sensitive to slight. You're sensitive to slights. You never forgive criticism. You trust nobody but yourself. You insist on consideration and respect. So a person who's miserable is all of that. A person who is miserable demands 
agreement. In other words, they're right about everything. And a person who is like this sulks if people are not grateful for what you've done for a service that's rendered. So you want to be miserable, he says? Love yourself. You'll be miserable. There are a lot of miserable people in our world. And do you know what they do? Listen to what they do. They're like a pep rally. You remember pep rallies in high school, right? You couldn't wait to get to the pep rally. That's what they're like all the time. Yeah, I'm doing good. Yeah, I'm doing great. Yeah, I'm doing wonderful. Boom. Not doing so good. What can I do to, well, the next person comes in our lives. Hey, you're doing, I'm doing great. I'm doing wonderful. I'm doing great. Boom. And hey, they're consistent. They're doing wonderful. They're doing great. Boom. My Christian life. I like what David says. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will what? I'll fear no evil, for thou art with me. So I walk in the valleys. As I'm walking in the valleys, who's walking with me as a believer? Christ is. He is. I'll end with this story. There was an old man visiting London for the first time. And he went into one of the art galleries. There are many art galleries there in London. And he came to a painting. And this painting was of the Lord Jesus upon the cross. I think this story is good for us to think about the fact that instead of us being tempted to love ourselves over and over again, we need to think about the one that loves us the most. Anyway, he's at this art gallery. He stops before this picture or this painting of the Lord upon the cross. And he's gazing at the picture. And he's so overwhelmed with what he sees and in and, and, and remembering what Christ had done for him, he just expresses that out loud and, and, and really loud. He says, I love him. I love him. And others in the gallery heard the old man's words. And seeing him weeping before the picture, a stranger drew near to him and said, I love him too. And then came another stranger and another and another repeating the same message, I love him too. You know what draws us together? We love the Lord. We love him. Let's be different from the world. The world is in love with themselves. Let's be in love with the Lord. And let's show the world the difference. Because there is one. Let's pray together. Lord, there's a lot here. I didn't get to half of my stuff. And yet, I know you stopped me where you wanted me to. And that's okay because you're in control. And... Um, I thank you that I know that, and I know that the ones in Christ here today know that. And we look at this description of the world that we live in, the world that Paul lived in. Um, the characters have changed, but the characteristics have not. Man's in love with himself. And we have to admit that we battle all of these things. At times in our lives, we battle arrogance, 
to battle that. Lord, we can't overcome these things without you. We see how the world's described, and, and we believe that, and we're okay pointing the finger at the world and saying, yeah, this is how you are. Lord, I was thinking about the passage in Galatians this week, in Galatians 5, that is so important that um, as a believer, I would walk by the Spirit so that I don't give in to the lust of the flesh. If I'm walking by the Spirit, I'm thinking about you, I'm thinking about all you've done for me. Or I'm thinking about how I can please you, and when I'm walking by the flesh, then it's all about me. So I pray that you would help me personally today to, to every morning get up and, and just say, Lord, help me to walk by your Spirit today. Thank you so much for these warnings you give us through your Word. And I pray two things, that we'd walk away today knowing there's great opportunity for us in our world that we live in. Because so, so many people reject you. And so help us to be witnesses. And the second thing I would pray is that, Lord, we would be encouraged. That sounds probably crazy. But we would be encouraged to know that although the terrible times have been here and are now, Lord, you're coming soon. And we know the end of the story. And help us to be ready for you to come for us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. As we ended up the service this morning, that we would just lift high the name of Jesus, and that that's how we would uh, uh, walk out the doors, lifting His name up. Now it's easy to come together in, a, in, in an assembly like this and lift high the name of Jesus, because we're all here doing it. What's hard is when you get back, get out into the world, because the world will absorb you, and we need to just lift high the name of Jesus, whatever we do. Why? Because He is our King, He is our Lord, and He is our light. And so that's what this song is about. Let's all stand and let's lift high the name of Jesus.
Um, just one thing before you're dismissed. Um, be sure you go around and speak to the new members that uh, stood up at the front of the service. I know you remember who they are. Make sure you make them feel welcome. You're dismissed. <laughs>